0: Welcome to the Our Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So, we've been looking at um, the things that prevent us from actually receiving the whole of the truth about um, ourselves and about God, because the problem with lies is they affect three areas. First of all, they affect The way we see ourselves, okay? They give us a false idea of our own identity, right? The second thing that lies do is they affect our relationships with other people. They, no. Oh, gosh, right. Oh, I think that's them down there. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Underneath Chris's feet, around that area there. Oh, Sorry, Irving. <laughs> Irving just went home for something that, um, that I've suddenly realized is actually there on the <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> oh gosh right. Um, so yes, the, so they affect our, the way we see ourselves. They affect our relationships with other people. And they also affect, and we have touched on this a little bit, they affect the way that we see God, okay, the way that we perceive him. And that probably is the most um, profound effect that they have. Because if if we misunderstand who God is, then we are not going to be able to understand who we are, okay? We've got to understand who God is, before we can begin to understand who we are. Um, right, so what does God say about these rubbish lies here that we were looking at? Is it only yesterday? <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> um, so the first one was people who feel that if they, if they, they can feel good about themselves if they perform well. Okay, which is very tiring and is very stressful because you're constantly aiming to achieve more. You remember the, the ruler and then the you know the the tape measure, um, which is like never ending when we come to see believe what God requires of us. Yeah. Well, God says that is not. Right, That is not his plan or purpose that we've got to strive to do well. His plan is for us to rest, be at rest. So, there we go. Put that one there, at rest. Now, one of the problems is that if we see God as being someone who is expecting great things of us, then we will not be able to actually believe that he has a rest for us. And if we see God as someone who can't be trusted, you think, a Christian would never think God can't be trusted. Would, Would they? Would they ever think that? Well, you wouldn't believe the number of people who, because they were in some way let down often by the parents, just have this inner belief that people in authority can't be trusted, people can't be trusted. And so those people will take upon themselves the lie that it's all up to me, it's up to me to do everything. I can't trust anybody else, I'll do it myself. Now it's impossible then to be at rest if that's the way you feel God is, I'm not sure I can 100% trust God to look after me and protect me, so I've got to do it. So it's so important that we really know the truth about God in order to be able to enter in this rest. Um, and it's interesting that the only time, as far as I know, I mean, I can't say i know the Bible well enough to be 100% certain, but I'm pretty sure that the only time where God says you have to strive to do something is, does anybody know, strive to enter his rest. That's weird, isn't it? So you have to work really hard to rest, (laughs) No, but I think he says that because he knows that naturally we'll just be trying all the time trying trying and you've got to make a real determined conscious effort and choice to stop doing that and just to lean back into him and to allow him to if you like just be there for you to stop performing to stop Trying. Um, the kind of rest that is 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 mentioned when in the book of Hebrews, where um, whoever wrote Hebrews, right, uh, talks quite a lot about rest. The kind of rest it is is that you know, in the um, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and they they wandered, didn't they? They just wandered through the desert, um, but every so often, God would say, stop. Remember, he had the, the cloud and the fire. And when the fire and the cloud stopped, God said, stop. And at that point, they would get the big tent out, yeah? And I don't know how long it took to put this tent up, but I'm sure it was a lot longer than it takes to put our tent up, which is quite a long time anyway, because we never can remember which pole goes in which and what color is that, you know? Anyway, I'm sure it took them a long time to put this whole tent up for thousands of people. million, was it? A million? Anyway, so once they'd done all that, God said, right, now it's time to have a rest. And so it would be a complete stopping of activity. It would just be a settling down for a while and just a letting go of that constant activity of day-to-day tramping through the desert. It would be peace. And that's the sort of rest that he is calling us to. Um, Not a rest of, in that sense, inactivity, because we'll still be doing things, but we'd be doing things out of a place of utter peace and trust and knowing that none of it depends on me, all of it depends on him. And if it really goes wrong, it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. It's that sort of arrest really um, that God wants us to have. That's to peace. Okay. Approval. Right. I've got to be liked. Well, Father says that we are The beloved. We are the beloved. We're not just liked. I mean, liked goes nowhere near describing what he feels about us. What he sees when he looks at us. And you know, he he just God's. I think God's just established in 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 this world different relationships, mainly to show us how much he loves us. So he talks about the beloved being his son, yeah? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, guess what? That's us, right? You are my beloved sons and daughters. I'm well pleased with you, right? So we're the beloved children, but we're also, and this this one was one I've only recently got a handle on. Thank you. Thanks to our beautiful Sharon Britton. Who, if you know anything about Sharon, you will know that right now the Song of Songs is like she eats, breathes, sleeps, and oozes the Song of Songs. Right? She is passionate. So, if like me you struggle to get hold of all this kind of sort of passionate intimacy, well, just get hold of Sharon, and you won't be able to avoid it. I know. But you know, it's that we're the beloved. Lover, we're the bride. We're the—he's the husband. We, he's the husband. We are the bride. We are the beloved lovers. Um, you know, it's as—it's as deep and as intimate as that. And I'm just going to read you a couple of lines from the Song of Songs. Right? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to read this to you. Um, and. You know, you're going to have to be embarrassed by this, okay? So, Andy, (laughs) every part of you is so beautiful. My darling, my darling, Andy, right? Perfect your beauty without flaw within, right? Andy, that's you. Okay. Ophelia, you reach into my heart and with one flash of your eyes... And you have got very beautiful eyes, I must say. With one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love, my beloved one, my equal, my bride. That's what he says to you. You leave me breathless. I'm overcome by merely a glance from your worshipping eyes. And you have worshipping eyes. (laughs) You have stolen my heart. Jonas I'm held hostage by your love and the graces of righteousness upon you I just love that I just look at you and I see righteousness righteous righteousness how satisfying to me my equal my bride <laughs> your love is like my finest wine intoxicating and thrilling Well, I can say that's absolutely true from my own experience. (laughs) And your sweet praise perfume, Miriam, is so exotic and so pleasing. Your loving words are like honey to me, drenched with worship. Sarah, your tongue releases milk and honey. I can say that's true as well as your dear friend for I find the promised land flowing within you. (laughs) 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 I love that, it's great. I should really let one of you do it to me now and, and, you know, think, oh, that's me. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, anyway, that's just, you know, that's just part of how he feels about you and about me, about us. We are the beloved. We are the beloved. Okay, moving on. Blame. That's a big one. Oh, boy, that is such a big one, you know. Because we are... The problem is, I think, that... You know, we hear a lot of messages from people about it being our fault. And then the enemy comes in. We were talking about this, weren't we, Rose? And he says, it's your fault. And so often at the back of our mind, even though, you know, we know in our head, you know, no condemnation, etc., cetera, et cetera, We do feel it's kind of, there must be something I've done wrong <laughs> in all of this. There must be something I've done wrong. I'm not hearing God I'm not feeling God what have I done wrong and it's very hard for us to take hold of the truth that actually nothing is the answer nothing nothing at all Um, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes we do make mistakes but God never ever ever looks at us and says "Ooh, you disappointed me there he never does because we are this kind of, it's a sort of a bit of a relig- religiously word, isn't it? Righteous. But it's come for us here um, at Kingsway to be like one of the most precious words that exists in the language, um, that we are utterly holy and pure like Jesus. Um, and, you know, I used to, I used to sort of not really understand what that meant. Um, now, I just see it as being pure, as being constantly washed, really, in a, in a waterfall of, <laughs> of cleansing, beautiful, pure river of love, really. And, and it's constant. So any Stuff I do, mistakes, sin, whatever you want to call it, is immediately washed away. It's just washed. It's washed. Um, And, you know, because Jesus actually lives in me, um, there's this lovely verse that you'll hear a lot. I'm sure you'll hear it a lot. Um, Yeah, uh, it's from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Okay, no, no, 21, sorry, verse 21. So talking about Jesus, um, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Um, And that in itself is, I don't know, just just an incredible statement that Jesus should become sin itself for us. But the result of that is that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So not only am I righteous, I am actually the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. That's what I am. <laughs> That's my identity. It's, um, well, th- this kind of, um, in a sense, this seems to contradict something we'll do later, but it doesn't really. But it's not just a cloak I put on. It's actually within my whole being. Um, I don't know whether you do this in Germany, but when we go to the, the seaside, um, you can buy a special kind of um, sweet, which is like, like a stick. And we call it a stick of rock. Stick of rock? No? Anyway, you can buy a stick of this sweet stuff. It's like just pure sugar, really. Um, and at the, if you look at the top of the stick of rock, It's got the name of the place that you're visiting, like Blackpool or Bournemouth or wherever you go to, right? The name of the town. But that name goes all the way through the rock to the very bottom. So wherever you cut that piece of sweet rock up, you see the name. It's there all the way through. And that that is like the righteousness in us. Is it goes all the way through us. It's part of, it is who we are. We are the righteousness of God. And so how much room is there for for, for guilt and, and sin and condemnation? And how much room is there? there? None. There is none, right? Because it's, it's just, it's not who I am. That thing is not who I am. That blame stuff is not who I am at all anymore, okay? So we're at rest, we're beloved, we're righteous. And, yeah, I love this one, I just love this one. Instead of the shame, instead of the um, lie that I'm, you know, I'm bad through and through. That's, that's what shame is, really. Like the stick of rock just says, I'm bad. And then every time you cut it, it says, I'm bad. I'm, I'm still bad. You know, I'm, I'm bad. Right? That's what shame is, really. The opposite, absolute opposite to what God says about the right, you know, righteousness. So instead of that, instead of that lie that I'm bad, there's nothing good in me. God says this. He says we're a new creation. Now, I love this um, this word here, "new," right? Because in 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 Greek there are apparently two words that mean "new," and I don't have written them down. Wait a minute, let me see. I might have done. If I, if I haven't, I'm sorry. I'll just have to take my word for it that this is true. Oh, yes, I have. I've written it here. So, the first one is the word neos. Okay. So, neos means a new one of something that already exists. So, um... You know, Sophie's uh, grown out of her school shoes. Let's go and buy a new pair, all right? So we go and buy a new pair of shoes, and is unlike the last pair of shoes where um, they are full of scruffiness and the sole is falling off and the stitches have come undone. Um, These are beautiful. They are shiny and beautiful and new. Right? So that's one kind of new, but that is not the kind of new that we are as a new creation, okay? We are not neos. We are kainos. Okay? And kainos means the kind of new that is of a new type altogether. In other words, something that has never been seen before, something that is, um, that is, has that is sort of been, oh, how can I say? Um, yeah, like a new discovery, really, a new discovery. It's, it's it's not something that's been sort of copied something else or been a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that and let's make something new. It's like wow, that's unprecedented. Yeah, it's never ever been seen before, and that is the new creation that we are. Um, and of course, it all has to do with Jesus and his life in us. Um, and us in him now uh, I always struggled with this idea of um, when when people would say, "Well, God does not condemn you because when he looks at you, he only sees Jesus. now if you find that really comforting and really uplifting, and that's, that's great, and I wouldn't like to undermine anything that you <laughs> already would think, but my view, of, my view of that was, well, he's kind of managed to get rid of that sort of substandard Sue, you know, Sue is kind of pushed away, and there's Jesus, so when God looks, he doesn't see Sue, but Jesus, Right? But you know, I was just talking to him about this recently. I said, "Well, I said sort of that must be true because I know I am in you. So, if I'm in Jesus and God looks, Father God looks, He will see Jesus because I'm in Him. But, but Father was showing me that the op- the other is true as well that He's in me, and so when God looks at me, He sees this kind of whole." new thing that is a Sue Jesus, or a Jesus Sue. Or a, uh, and, you know, like, how does one describe this? Because it's a whole new thing, so I don't have any words to, to sort of really describe what, what this is, except that it's mind-blowing, really, um, And uh, something else he showed me as well as I was thinking about this. How do you talk about this? How do you describe it? Um, uh, Michelangelo was probably one of the world's most famous artists. And obviously was an amazing painter, but he was also an amazing sculptor. And there's this book about Michelangelo. And this may or may not be what he thought. But in the book, anyway, um, what he says is, that when he looked at a piece of marble, well, I looked at a piece of marble, he saw this, the sculpture in that marble. He just, he just saw it. And so what he was doing as he sculpted was not um, making this marble into a piece of sculpture. He was setting the sculpture free from the marble. He was kind of freeing it so it would become what it was meant to be yeah, that he had in his mind, yeah. um, So out of marble, different pieces of marble, he carved Michelangelo's David. He carved a beautiful statue of Mary with Jesus called the Pieta that's in St. Peter's in Rome. He carved Moses as well and Elijah. I think, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're all made from marble. They're made from the same material, And they all are the conception of an amazing, tremendous, gifted genius of a man who was one of the most creative people who ever lived. Now, (laughs) just imagine God's creativity then. Just imagine his imagination. And that's, in a way, how I see that we are. He's, he's, He's sort of has formed us, um, and in that formation, you know, you, you, oh gosh, it it is hard to describe this, but people look at a Michelangelo statue and they can tell if it's Michelangelo or, or not. You know, and there are other statues that look kind of similar. You know, you think, oh, that looks quite similar. But an expert would know this is Michelangelo. This is the genius of Michelangelo. Right? It has the life of Michelangelo within it, yeah, does that make sense? yeah, and that's how it is, I think, for us. you know, we have the life of the Creator within us, He set us free from these sort of <laughs> these these limiting blocks of marble, this <sighs> he set us free, he's released us, and so when people look at us, they think, you know <laughs> Gosh, when you look at the Michelangelo statues, you absolutely do not think they're all the same. You don't think, oh, there's Elijah. He looks just like David. He doesn't. Completely different. Each one full of their own life. But each one having the life of Michelangelo in them too. I can see that you're not really getting this one. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's so hard. But that's just a very poor kind of example of just... You know, when Jesus looks at me, he sees me. (laughs) He sees me. He sees me. And he sees me filled with the life of Jesus. He sees the me that he envisaged before the foundation of the world. He sees that me. Yeah? He sees that me that, like the me that he saw when he breathed into Adam. (laughs) The me he sees, that's the you he sees. Yes. Um, oh gosh, you know, just so it's just so exciting because once we get hold of this, once we get hold of um, who we actually are, then it's like there's no limits. There's no limits to to who we to 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 where we can go and what we can do. Um, let me just read you something else. I'm trying to think. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Yeah, that's it. So I'm just going to read from Romans 5, verse 17. Oh, actually, no, just before that, I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, verse 10. Okay. Ephesians two ten because this kind of confirms this Michelangelo um, analogy really, yeah, so Ephesians two verse 10, first of all it says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, um, so doing them out of you know that place of rest, but that word workmanship is. Um, The word that means poem or work of art, we are his work of art. We are that masterpiece that he has created, each one of us, so unique and so beautiful and so infused with his life, right? So we are his work of art. And then in Romans, Romans 5, verse 17, And in Romans 5 here, Paul is comparing this, you know, the, the, the sin of Adam to the grace of Jesus. So, you know, what happened through Adam, what, um, what the sin of Adam brought into the world, and then what Jesus has brought into the world. So in verse 17, he says, Paul says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In other words, those of us, those people who actually take hold of the grace that, yeah, that, that um, is ours, this abundant grace, and if we take hold of this gift of righteousness, refuse to believe the lies, refuse to walk in that dark place of um, lies and um, holding hands. I was just saying to Rose. You know, someone said to me, "When you believe lies, it's like holding hands with the with the devil." Honestly, it's like saying, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I really am." Oh, I I did that and we're just agreeing with him. Well, we can't receive the gift, of, you know, the gift of grace and righteousness and allow it to work in our lives if we are looking at the devil and believing his lies. So we need to turn around, repent and look at Jesus and say, yes, I receive this. I will believe it. I don't care what my feelings say. I am going to choose to believe that this is who I am. This is who you are. And then we will reign in life. And that just so reminds me of that last scene in The Lion King that we didn't have a chance to see when Simba goes up to the top of the rock and from the top of the rock, he just roars. And, you know, the creation around him springs to life. Life comes out of that creation. Life springs up. Um, and I, I just, I don't really, really, I can't honestly say I know what that means for me. i um, have caught a few little glimpses of what that means. But, but as we walk in these truths, so as we walk um, away from the lies and towards the truth, as we do that, as we believe what he says about us, we will see the world change around us. We will see that. We'll see the world change. We'll see people change. We'll see relationships change. We'll see communities change. Um, Because that's what he promises. We will reign. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.